welcome to Where's My Blueprint podcast, where we talk about all things adulting, our experiences, navigating adulthood, and what we learned along the way. We invite you to join our weekly conversations while we create our own blueprints on this amazing journey and hope some of the lessons we learned can help you. Here are my co-hosts, Nay and Sunny D. Hey everybody, it's your girl Sunny D here to brighten up your day. I'm a new business owner transitioning from corporate America. And frankly, I can't trust anybody that don't like tacos. Hey friends, I'm Nay. I'm so excited to share and grow with y'all. I'm a full-time wife, full-time mommy, and part-time employee. Nutella is my love language. This is your girl, Nakai, and I am your host on Where's My Blueprint Podcast. I am so excited to have you guys here, and I love brownies and seaweed. So let's get to the episode. Hey, welcome back to episode 20 of Where's My Blueprint Podcast. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. We are in the month of May, so it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mother's Day to Nay and all the mothers out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do every single day because without you, we wouldn't be here. So before we get into the episode, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. Happy Mother's Day once again. This episode is brought to you by Divine Timing. That is your one-stop shop for all things adulting. You guys can check out all of their digital products on their website at fearforme.com. That's fear, the number four, me.com. And put in the coupon code WMB22 at checkout and save 22% on everything that's on the website. All their planners and journals, everything is for digital downloads. So you're going to get it instantaneously on any of your devices. So save some coins and get your life. So today's quote is by Glenn Close. So what mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, and more unashamed conversations. Y'all, what do y'all think about that quote? I mean, that's perfectly said. It absolutely needs more shine on it. It needs to be normalized. It needs to be part of everyday regular conversations. And there shouldn't be any sort of shame or darkness or negativity surrounding it. Because then how else are we going to create safe spaces to talk about it if people are scared to do so. I totally agree. Um, I feel like the more that we have these conversations, the more we normalize it, the more we share our personal experiences, the more we make it okay for others to open up and share their experiences without fear or worry of judgment or being talked about or, you know, being put down. So I really like that quote. Thank you. So now we're going to move into the episode. Thank you for sitting in on our conversation today. We wanted to give a discussion that this conversation may be triggering for some of you due to the topic we are discussing, uh, mental health conditions. And we are talking about a recent event that happened, but also the mental health challenges. We are not professional experts in this field or so any comments and opinions are that of our own personal experiences. That being said, we have an amazing, beautiful lady that's joining us today. Her name is Miss Ebony and I'm gonna give her a chance to introduce herself. Thank you so much. It is such an honor and a privilege to be here on this podcast. And thank you so much for what you do for the community and this platform and all the information that you provide. So I just want to say that first. My name is Ebony Freeman and um, I am a two-time suicide attempt survivor. I also consider myself to be in long-term recovery for multiple mental health conditions and self-harm. I'm a first-generation college graduate 
graduate. I um, graduated from Texas State Technical College in Waco, where I have a certification in culinary arts. And then my bachelor's degree is in public affairs and community service from the University of North Texas. And currently, I am working on my master's degree in social work at Baylor University. And so I'm just starting with that. I'm certified in youth and mental health first aid, as well as QPR, which is gatekeeper suicide prevention training. So kind of like first aid for suicide prevention as well. Um, I'm a volunteer with NAMI North Texas. I volunteer with them in different ways and capacities. I've been married for about 13, 14 years, I think. (laughs) And I am an ambassador for Mental Health Tees, which is a t-shirt company that is all about starting the conversation around mental health and um, making therapy uh, great to talk about. And so I also am in the process of developing my organization, The Unveiling, True Stories of Hope, Healing, and Ending the Stigma of Mental Health. And that's something that's my passion project that I'm really excited about getting off the ground. I'm from Colleen, Fort Hood, Central Texas area. And as you can tell by my background, I love all things purple is my favorite color and makes me so happy. So that's a little bit about me. That is Sunny D's favorite color. Like she is a purple girl, even nail everything. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. You have like all these accomplishments and accolades and I'm loving this. As you know, our podcast is about adulting and like transitioning into adulting, how we're just trying to figure out a blueprint for ourselves. And so tell me about your journey into adulthood. So my journey into adulthood um, was very challenging to say the least. I would say it started way before it probably should have started for me. And I not only come from a challenging upbringing, but I also dealt with a lot of issues surrounding my mental health and my self-esteem. And so that made it a lot harder to be able to make that transition into adulthood in addition to really not having a strong, stable support system or resources to be able to make that transition a little smoother. I think a lot of people have not had the smoothest transition into adulting because what the heck is that even supposed to be? Did you have like a blueprint to pull from at all growing up? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, in all honesty, I did not have any type of blueprint. I, I did well in school and I enjoyed school. And so after high school, I just assumed that you went to college or the military coming from a military background. And so I really didn't have a lot of, as I said, alluded to earlier guidance or direction on, you know, this is what you need to do after high school. And this would help with going to college and choosing a major and, you know, things of that nature. I really had to navigate a lot of that on my own. I did have one adult in my life who was very vital. I call her my adopted mom, who really was instrumental in helping me to get into trade school. And so without her, that would not have been possible. But um, outside of that, I really didn't have any type of blueprint. I just kind of went off of what I thought I was supposed to be doing and just kind of went from there. I feel like that's very similar 
to a lot of people in this similar age range because that's all that we were told. That's all, the only thing that we knew was, you, you know, after graduation from high school, then you go to college or you go to some sort of trade school or military. And like that was really it. And there were no, really no other discussions on what other possible alternatives or paths look like. Because I know that we my family had very similar conversations as, as what you were getting. What would be like four words that you would use to describe your journey into adulthood and the confusion that kind of came with that? Great question. The four words I would say to describe my journey into adulthood would be uneasy, life-altering, traumatic, and tumultuous, which I know seems kind of dark, but (laughs) I, for me and my background and, and what I experienced, I feel those would be the most accurate words to paint the picture to how my journey into adulthood was. I can relate to that uneasiness. That for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. That unknown type of, yeah, I absolutely get that. Tell us a little bit more about these words because like you said, they are a little dark. However, I feel like as a teenager, I probably was like considered dark and like things I like to do. <laughs> but tell us a little bit more and like help us paint that picture of the uneasy, especially when you said life altering. I was like, whoa, that's a huge word. Well, definitely uneasy because I'm the type of person I like to have things planned out and know kind of what I'm doing and have an idea of how, you know, the next step I'm going to take. And I really didn't have that, right? Because as your podcast says, having a blueprint is like having instructions, so to speak, on on how to, how to do something, how to build something. And I didn't have that. And so it was very uneasy because it was like kind of, you know, walking around in a dark room, you're just doing your best to kind of not stub your toe or run into a wall, right? Without you being able to see anything, so to speak. And so that's what it was like for me. I was really just trying to navigate the waters and, you know, navigate through this dark room. And it was hard and it, and it made it feel uneasy. And for just for me and the type of personality I have, a lot of that led into me kind of having feelings of feeling like a failure because the things that I thought I should be accomplishing and the things that I thought I should be doing at a certain time period or a certain age, I found myself not doing. And so um, that made that transition challenging as well. And I would just say life altering because due to my mental health conditions and having my first suicide attempt at the age of 21, that was definitely life altering and not really having a community or people around me to support me and help me walk through that was very life altering and and life changing. And then from there, just dealing with a lot of my mental health began to progress as far as um, issues around self-harm and depression and things like that. And that turning into struggling to affecting my everyday life, whether it was school or being able to work or even my marriage, it, it was just really difficult. And I would definitely say that what that's what made it um, tumultuous is just those those ups and downs that were really challenging and difficult to navigate. So if you're open to it, I have some more questions. You said at 21 was your first attempt at suicide. So tell me a little bit more about that almost attempt, meaning because I know when you said like lack of support, which for me, I feel like if 
people do not have support or understand what support is, you could feel like, and I'm using this example only because I'm just thinking about like some events in my life is that you're drowning and you're breathing through a straw and the straw isn't giving you enough air to catch your breath, but you're like trying to just survive. So tell me a little bit more about that. Definitely. As the years have passed and going through therapy, I've realized how important having a support system is. We're not made to live life alone. That's just the period point blank. And so it's so important, especially I feel as we are navigating through life into adulthood and even beyond to have those support systems. And when you don't, it makes life even harder, especially dealing with any type of, you know, medical or mental health issue. And so for me, it was really challenging coming from the Black community and then the Black faith-based community where there tends to be, or at least in my experience, so much stigma and a lack of understanding and misconceptions surrounding mental health that I did not have people around me who understood, who knew how to help me, that had these misconceptions about depression and anxiety and things of that nature. And then, like I said, I I think, you know, we, especially when it comes to adulting, you know, we tend to look at our peers and especially now in the age we live in with social media, you know, that comparison trap, right? That, oh, well, she's the same age as I am and look at what she's accomplished and where she is and she graduated on time or she's married and things of that nature. And so I found myself in that comparison trap, just not being at a point in my life where I felt I hadn't accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish and I wasn't where I felt like I wanted to be. And then that also around the time when my mental health conditions really came to a head, it was like all these years of like a volcano that was dormant that just erupted. I transitioned from moving from South Carolina back to Texas because I was going to join the military with a friend of mine. And at the last minute, I decided I didn't want to do it. And so I moved back and I just found myself without a plan and just being very depressed and in this really dark state. And I've always struggled with my sense of self-worth and my sense of self-esteem. And so I really felt like a failure and it just, and not having that support and that guidance and the resources to really navigate that time and not understanding that that was the onset of what would become, you know, years of struggling with my mental health. It just got to the point to where I felt like I didn't want to be alive anymore. And for me, when I started to develop around that time, also issues with self-harm, I felt like I needed to punish myself, so to speak. And so for me, that was a way of being able to punish myself as well. And so that's kind of just a culmination of all of those things just really stewed and just brought to the point to where I was like, I just, I couldn't handle life anymore. And so that's kind of the, what led up to that first attempt. I feel like a lot of what you said in those feelings that you were feeling, especially that age, man, like no one knows what's happening around, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there. I mean, I barely remember the person that I was back then it was just it was just so different at the time and yeah what you were just saying is just so relatable and I think it's important for people to understand that there is a difference between support and support and I think we've talked about this a time or two on on the show before a few episodes ago but it makes me wonder at some point you realize that you needed some sort of support you needed some assistance help guidance or something like that and I wonder did you ever feel like it was difficult for you to articulate the type 
of support that you needed? And was it challenging for maybe other people to understand how to support you? Definitely. And and that's a great question. So it took me many years of therapy to be able to work through how to ask for help. Because I think at least, and I'll say for me in, in my Black upbringing, you know, being a Black woman, you had to be strong. You know, I come from a divorced household and I have two other siblings. And so there was three of us and my parents divorced thing. My mom had us. And so, you know, there wasn't really time to break down because life had to keep going. You had to keep yourself together and keep pushing or pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as they say. And so in that, I never learned how to ask for help because I felt like I had to people depending on me, you know? And so I did not know how to ask for help. And I didn't grow up in an environment where I was taught how to express my needs and how to express what I needed support with. There was even also, um, I would even say an aspect of fear of asking for help, right? And so um, there's that component. And then in therapy, I had to learn that it was okay to ask for help. It didn't make me look weak to be able to ask for help, but also learning how and figuring out and um, breaking down in what ways I needed help and support and how to communicate that to others is something that I also learned in therapy and being able to be okay with not having people in my support system who I felt I wanted to because we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. And so in therapy, I learned that my support system, I may want it to look one way, but it may not. And I had to be open to building a support system that looked possibly different from what in my mind I thought it should look like and being okay with that. And so to answer the second half of your question, uh, yes, I definitely feel like there were people around me who did not know or understand what I was going through or could relate or that was willing to educate themselves on what it was that I was dealing with in order to support me. And I just think that that's why I think therapy is something that everyone can use because I feel like in life, you know, a lot of times we go through situations and we just don't know how to deal with them properly. And so therapy really helps us unpack a lot of that and teaches us how to communicate, how to be able to support, how to express our needs, how to figure out figure out how in what ways can other people better support me. And I didn't know all those things, but I learned that through therapy. That is powerful. <laughs> like everything you just said is powerful. And I hope audience that y'all are listening and you actually pick that up, like being able to go to therapy and knowing that therapy, I know in our community is quote unquote a stigma, but knowing it is to be there to help you. And the cool thing is, it's like we have a therapist coming on next week so we can talk to her about it. So I'm so happy that you said that. Yes. <laughs> so my question for you is with multiple uh, mental health conditions, um, how are you still processing or have you overcame them? Or can you elaborate, elaborate on those? So I live with multiple mental health conditions and they are generalized anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, and borderline personality disorder. And I am at a point right now to where I am well able to well manage them.
them and compared to where I was a couple of years prior, I would even say. And so it's definitely been up until this point, challenging navigating just the mental health system, figuring out because I have received other diagnoses over the years as well. And as so many others do, at least in my experience, because seeing different providers, different life circumstances and things like that can contribute to diagnoses changing and things like that. And so I feel like at this point that I do have accurate diagnoses and um, each day I just try my best to care for myself, do the things that I need to do, such as taking my medication, um, using my coping skills, going to therapy, trying to reduce and minimize my stress and things of that nature. And I've also found volunteering to be a huge part in my um, coping and recovery process because it's given me a sense of purpose. And so there is a song called Shout by Kirk Franklin, who's a gospel singer. And one of the lyrics in the song is, the pain was preparation for my destiny. And that lyric gives meaning to my struggles. And it helps me to make sense of it all and know that what I've gone through and what I've been able to come through and survive, it was for a reason. It was preparation for individuals who we would come across. What And it's been so evident throughout my life, whether it was, you know, the after school programs that I've worked with and working with kids and families and, you know, other young youth who were experiencing issues with cutting themselves or harming themselves or, you know, whether it would be other adults that I would go and talk to and be able to share my story and relate to. Uh, it, it's all made sense. And, and I really had to, it took therapy to come to terms with that because I was so upset. I'm like, this is not fair. Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to, you know, deal with this depression, this deep, dark depression and feelings of self-worth and worthlessness and things of that nature. But I'm so grateful to be where I am today and to be able to just say that I'm alive and I was able to make it through. So that way I could be a blessing, not to others and, and my community and, and help bring awareness to mental health and how it impacts our lives, really. Whoa. <laughs> so one thing you said is that I truly value is volunteering because with volunteering, you're just giving your time. And as we all know, time is the one thing you can't buy. So really volunteering and giving your time to people I love. I'm going to ask um, one question is for the audience who may not know what exactly bipolar is, or in my mind, I call it GAD because I know what it is, but um, general anxiety disorder, or what was the last one? The multiple borderline personality disorder or BPD, generalized anxiety disorder, GAD and bipolar disorder. You explain those for the audience members who may not know what those are. Yes, absolutely. So um, generalized anxiety disorder or GAD are extreme worries, nervousness, or that frequently occur or persistent feelings of um, just feeling like really anxious that lasts for an extended period of time. And it really 
gets to the point to where it interrupts your day-to-day living. So anxiety, you know, anyone can have anxiety, you know, in general, but where it gets to the point to where it's generalized anxiety disorder is really the extremeness, the frequentness, um, and the point to where it really is interrupting your day-to-day living. So that's how I would describe generalized anxiety disorder. And then as far as borderline personality disorder, that is characterized by difficulties in being able to regulate your emotions. And people with BPD feel um, emotions very, very intensely, right? And um, for extended periods of time as well. And just like a generalized anxiety disorder, where it gets to the point where it's interrupting your daily life, that's really where it's getting to the point where, okay, it's, it's a diagnosable mental health condition. And it's harder for them to be able to return with the, um, the extreme emotions to a baseline. And they also have um, issues with like their self-worth and wor- feeling worthless and things of that nature. And so that's how I would describe borderline personality disorder. And excuse me, um, bipolar disorder is a condition that is characterized by highs, um, which is considered mania and or hypomania. And hypomania is a lesser degree of mania and low lows such as depression. Um, and there are different types of bipolar disorders as well. Um, and so that's how I would describe bipolar disorder. But you said one of your coping mechanisms is, or, or your coping skills rather, is being able to volunteer and give your time. Tell us about like the work that you do in the community and how that makes you feel. Absolutely. So like I said, volunteering has been very instrumental for me. Um, I had to heal first. Let me say that first, because um, I, you never want to be in a position where I believe you don't have to be perfect in order to be able to help people or because that's a process, right? Healing is a process, but I definitely had to get to the point to where I work through a lot of issues, um, get to a point to where I, I could better process and cope with the things that I was going through. So that way I could go out and, and help people and, and things of that nature. And so um, volunteering has been very instrumental for me in my recovery process because it's really helped me to make sense of a lot of the challenges that I struggled with. But not only that, I know how I felt when, as we were talking about earlier support and feeling like you didn't have anyone who looked like you, who was around you that could experience or you could go through, you could go to, to discuss the things that you were dealing with. And so that was really important for me when it came to my mental health journey and coming to the decision to where I was ready to volunteer and give back. That's what I wanted to do. That was my goal. I knew that there were other people out there who looked like me, who came from a similar background as I did, and they needed someone to be able to say, I can understand where you're coming from. I can not only sympathize, but I can empathize with what it is that you're struggling with. And there's a quote that I've been living by the last couple of years by Maya Angelou. And it says, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. And so I believe that we all have these stories that are inside of us, right? I have a story. And once I was able to become vulnerable enough and accept that vulnerability, I wanted to share my story. And so that's what my volunteer experience has been like. I became a mental health advocate and I volunteer um, with NAMI North Texas in various capacities. Um, I've represented NAMI at health fairs um, within the community. 
I have been able to go into universities and schools and talk about mental health and share my story with administrator, administration and teachers as well and students. I've also had the opportunity to be trained to facilitate peer-to-peer, which is a free class offered by NAMI for um, individuals 18 years and older who live with mental health conditions. I'm trained in how to facilitate that course as well. Another passion area of mine, of course, is bringing awareness to mental health in the Black faith-based community. And so I've had the opportunity to go into churches and make presentations on mental health and share my personal faith-based story on my journey being a person of faith who has struggled with mental health. And um, I've had the opportunity a few weeks ago to speak at a conference for an organization, the Top Ladies of Distinction. And the second day of the conference, I had the privilege of addressing an audience of over 100 teens and about 30 adults or so. And so that was my biggest speaking engagement until today. And so I was very excited about that and just the feedback from the teens and, and them being willing to share their experiences about some of the things that they were struggling <laughs> with in regards to mental health. And of course, my, my passion project, The Unveiling, True Stories of Hope, Healing, and Ending the Stigma of Mental Health. I've been able to create two webinars thus far. And um, those are basically where I have people who have these amazing stories who come together and we just have a raw, open, honest, and vulnerable talk about, you know, how mental health and um, mental health conditions have impacted their lives and how they've dealt with it. And um, so those have been really powerful and I'm looking forward to being able to do more of those in the future. And so that's a little bit about the volunteer work that I've been able to do thus far and um, more to come in the future, definitely. I could probably listen to you talk about your work for an extended amount of time, honestly. I love how passionate you are about being able to be involved in these programs and being able to use your voice. And I mean, like you said, you absolutely have a story that needs to be told and a purpose that needs to be fulfilled. You have a lot of work left to do. And I hope I get to continue to watch this evolution of yours. Um, But I would love to hear, and I think, you know, Nakai would as well as the rest of our listeners would love to hear what is NAMI North Texas? So NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness and NAMI North Texas is the affiliate that I am associated with. And it is the largest grassroots organization dedicated to mental health and mental health education. And so they are all about awareness, support, advocacy, and education. And all of the programs that they offer to the community are absolutely free. And that's a huge deal because if you were like me throughout the years dealing with my mental health conditions, there were times where I wasn't able to work. And so, um, you know, therapy, medication, things of this nature, they cost money. And so NAMI is able to provide their resources to the community for free. And that's huge. And one of the the best aspects about NAMI and the organization. I have a question. Do you know where we could go to find more information on NAMI as well as their other affiliate locations? Where can we find that information? Definitely. So if you go to the main NAMI website, N-A-M-I NAMI, and they, you can go there and type in the city or the area that you live in, and it'll bring up the affiliate. And there are NAMI affiliates 
all over the nation. And so that is the best way to be able to go and figure out which affiliate is closest to the area that you live in. Thank you. I think that's going to be a great resource for so many people. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And you hit on something that I have struggled with in my adulting and growing up (laughs) in my journey of like the Black community and church. having, if anything is wrong, it's like the first answer is, did you pray about it? But did you pray? But did you pray? Well, God, you're not being patient enough. God said, if you pray and it's like, well, God created therapists <laughs> and I need help. So tell me about that experience of like going into black churches and talking about therapy and like these other modalities that you can actually go to versus just, and I'm not saying like audience don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not saying like, don't trust God because God is God. He's almighty. However, there are some other things that he put in place for us to be able to cope with this thing called crazy life. No, absolutely. And so that was a lot of my experience, as you alluded to, you know, you're not praying enough, you're not fasting enough, you're not reading your Bible enough. I even had someone close to me when I did open up and share with them that I was struggling with depression. They said that I had a spirit and I just needed to be delivered. And so that was really challenging and difficult to navigate being a part of a faith-based community, which was an important aspect to my life and being able to, but also dealing with, you know, thoughts of suicide and worthlessness and struggling with depression and anxiety and things of that nature, you know, hearing voices and things like that. And so for many years that compounded and added to my depression and my anxiety, right? Because I felt like I wasn't a good enough, you know, Christian or that because I was dealing with these things that I was less loved by God, right? And so it was not until I went to a multicultural church that had what they call restoration group. And in this restoration group, it was a, or it is, they still have it, a group for women who live with depression and anxiety. And it wasn't until I attended this group that a friend of mine who is a licensed professional counselor counselor or LPC told me about. And so I was really nervous about going, but I decided to give it a try. And I'm so glad I did because it was a game changer in me being able to bridge the gap between my mental health and and my faith. And it was through that class that I learned that just because I am a person of faith who lives with these mental health conditions, that it, it doesn't mean that I'm any less loved by God, as I said earlier. And we read a book that was also a game changer for me called Spurgeon's Sorrows. Spurgeon's Sorrows. And that was a really great book in um, being able to, like I said, give information on bridging the gap between your your faith and your mental health. And so I'm so glad that churches, Black churches, are starting to see that, you know, as you said, while prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and things like that are helpful, there are some of us, myself, um, who just needed an additional layer or level of support. Because I'm going to be honest, there were some days I was so depressed that I I read the Bible and I prayed. But I mean, I'm going to be honest, it, it just wasn't effective for me in that moment because of the state of mind that I was in. And as you said, I'm not saying that those things don't work, but there are just some people who need, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy, you know, or other things to be able to help them who live with diagnosed mental health conditions. And once I 
I was at a better place, I could then go back and incorporate those things to be able to help me maintain, you know, my where I was once I was out of that depression or, or not dealing with that anxiety. And so I'm, as I said earlier, I'm really glad churches are starting to see that there's there's something to this. You know what I mean? That it, it's necessary. And I think, you know, also a component to that is a lot, I think in churches, we, two things. The first thing is I'll say, you know, or at least for me, I was taught or told what goes on in this house stays in this house. You know, you don't go out telling other people your business, right? And then the second thing is, I think in the Black church so often we see our pastors as counselors and therapists. And most of the times, at least in my experience, they are not trained therapists and counselors. And they're human just like you are, you know, and over the years, we've seen cases where there are pastors dying by suicide. And so I think it's so important that our churches and our communities start to implement these into their congregations where there are individuals within the congregation who are licensed therapists and professionals and mental health professionals to be able to either refer sources out to their congregants or have those sources within the church. There are some churches that do offer counseling within the congregation by licensed therapists to be able to help their their members. And so I have, like I said, had the very important, not only task, but privilege of being able to go into churches and sharing my story and being able to provide them with mental health resources. And I think it's just, it's so important. And I just hope that more and more churches will start to see the importance of it and that it will continue to become more popular. And um, so that way we can really help more people and make a difference. And so people aren't feeling isolated and alone. A lot to process. And I, I, Lord knows, I pray that more churches, more institutions of faith, more groups of faith will understand that there is a bridge between medical mental support as well as, you know, their faith and their belief in, you know, their religion or their system because they absolutely can coexist. And I think it's imperative that they do. With my particular background, and we see a lot of this, unfortunately. And one of the ones that that sticks out to me, like as you were talking, I was just reminded of it. We had a client who lost her husband and just her story and their dynamic and their dynamic with their family. They're very, very into their church. And the more that she was speaking and the more information that she was giving us, because I think her herself as a, a, a new widow, right, was trying to figure out like what happened happened, you know, and there's a bunch of questions and there's not as many answers as readily available. And the more that she was speaking, the more that I was thinking to myself, I feel like, like her spouse had a, um, a mental condition that probably he had for a really long time. And because of the type of church that they were at and the type of people that are so gung-ho about praying and reading the Bible and being delivered from the spirit, whatever that means, that he didn't feel that that was enough and being able to communicate what it was that he was needing and being able for those people to understand what it is that he's trying to say. And
and these, this is just my theory because I have absolutely no concrete evidence that this is even a thing, but I'm just trying to put two and two together. It definitely gave me some, it kind of like started some, some bells that kind of went off that I wonder if there was a correlation between that and the fact that there wasn't the support system that was probably necessary at the time. And, you know, he did what he thought was best, unfortunately. And I feel like it's such an important thing for institutions, for churches to really implement and be able to offer services like that because it's so, so important, especially for like men, especially if it's black men. The amount of people that have died by suicide that are male, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, is more than it is with women, right? And that's a whole other issue. That's like, that can be a whole other episode in and of itself, just because of what they feel that they have to do as men and being able to, you know, provide and not being able to express emotion and things like that and not being able to, not being given the tools to work through their feelings and their emotions. They have to deal with it themselves. Like there's a a strong black male version of like the strong black woman. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, I I hope that makes sense to you guys. But yeah, that just, I just, I really need there to be more resources. And I'm so glad there's, you know, um, organizations like Nomi. I did find one here in South Houston because I looked it up as soon as you told me to be able to, to give to people and offer that because I don't know if that's as well known as it could be. And I'm hoping that this provides people with access and resources and tools to really, you know, understand how they are, understand how their brain works and just really live the lives that they're destined to live because there's so much, you know, that could be done. And I just, I really do hope if any of our listeners are um, going through any of those things that, you know, you look into the resources that we're able to provide or find some on your own and really start seeking that help because it's amazing to be a person of faith and also know that you can get that support where it's needed. You know what I mean? Because like you are worthy, you are important. Like we need you here to do whatever it is that you need to do. And there is support for you. And if we can help you find it by providing, you know, website addresses or IG pages or what have you, I just, I just hope that that, um, that gets through that kind of struck a chord with me. You made a very good point. I think also we also, we need to remember too, that we need to be able to create safe spaces as well for individuals, because at least I know for me, I was scared to open up because I wasn't sure how people were going to respond. I'll um, share this with my first suicide attempt. After that, that Sunday when I went to church, I went up to the altar for prayer and I was so, so nervous. And I went up to the altar and I started sharing about, you know, what had happened. And everyone just ran up to me who was at the altar and I was shush. And I, I don't even think at that point anyone even prayed for me, but I, it was like, no one asked like, how can we get her help or, or what is it that you need or what can we do? And so I think another important part to that is we need to be able to have the training and the education to receive these individuals in our faith-based communities. So they feel like they have a safe place to be able to come and open up about that because it's not easy and it is very scary. And so I believe once we create these safe spaces that it will also be able to, and and talk about it. It's like, if we're in a dark room, you can't see anything. But if I was to turn the light on, then the light is going to illuminate around the dark. Once we begin to have these conversations about suicide, about depression, about anxiety, about mental health, about mental health in general, because we all have mental health. Everybody has mental health, but not everyone lives with a mental health condition, a diagnosed mental health condition. And so once we be able, once we're able to normalize these conversations in, in the Black community, in the Black faith-based community, then we're 
giving people permission, we're making it okay for them to be safe, to feel safe opening up about the struggles that they're dealing with. And without the fear of rejection or being told you just need to pray more, or you just need to be stronger, because that's just making the situation even worse, right? Like you already have in your mind that you're, you're worthless, or, you know, I'm not doing enough, or I can't support my family, or in many times, individuals who are at the point where they feel like they need to take their lives, they're, they're just tired, and they don't want to be a burden anymore. And so in their mind, they're thinking that this is the way to be able to alleviate being a burden or ending that, you know, heavy pain that they're feeling. And so in, like I said, to allude to what you were saying, we need to work on creating these safe spaces so people can feel okay opening up and being able to receive them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely being able to have those safe spaces is important and normalizing the conversation just across the board when it comes to mental health, when it comes to mental health conditions and allowing for those people that are experiencing those conditions to feel safe to express how they're feeling. And then for those people that have loved ones or that have friends or that know people that are experiencing those conditions, giving them a safe space to to offer help or to learn more or to be open to being that sort of support because, you know, people are afraid of what they don't understand. And me being the empathetic person that I am, and I try to see both sides of the coins as far as, you know, giving me more perspective and, and trying just to understand things in life. I can see when something is uncomfortable to not acknowledge it, but that shuts out so much conversation and it shuts out opportunities to really connect, which, you know, that's a basic human need. You know, we can't, like you said earlier, we're not meant to live this life on our own. We're not meant to go through life by ourselves. We naturally seek out human connection and to have those instances where we feel like we are, you know, on a sinking ship on our own and there's no one to help, you know, save us or what have you, then that definitely can create all, all kinds of stuff that my brain not right now can't find the word to. So just listening to both of y'all and how you said creating those safe spaces, it triggered something in my brain of, oh my gosh, there was a story that came out about the former Miss USA and I forgot her name, but um, I remember she was 30. Very, very, like she's a Miss former USA, right? And she was found dead because she jumped from her Manhattan story, like her apartment and was found dead on the concrete and I'm just thinking of like her last post was um, like thanking everybody and like just being genuine but it's like oh my gosh she died by suicide and this is a lady who everybody would look up to and it's because like you said creating those safe spaces like did she have a safe space to actually go to who was around her that if she had the support right meaning support and that what the support that she needed and how she would receive it and I just think of how detrimental it is in our culture that we we are still trying to fight this battle along with all the other battles we're fighting along with just honestly just being black right <laughs> that's a whole entire conversation on itself but having all of that coming through and then dying by suicide and then leaving her mom and it's like a whole entire thing of like now and I think about well what does her mom think is her mom like oh man I should have did more or what did I miss what were the signs you know so with that the you talked about the stigma of suicide and the stigma of suicide and mental health in our community. Tell us about your program of Ending the Silence. Absolutely. So Ending the Silence is a program offered through NAMI and it is three presentations 
organizations. And Ending the Silence really focuses on organizations and schools that serve youth. And so um, it, it addresses mental health and mental health conditions and awareness for um, youth and their families. And, and it helps to improve the understanding and reduce the stigma surrounding mental health. And so Ending the Silence has presentations for students, educators, and their families. And everything is geared toward um, that specific group. And so you have a presentation that is about mental health and mental health conditions. It provides statistics and things of that nature. And then you have a presentation from a young adult peer or a family member who has lived experience with a student who has dealt with mental health conditions in some shape or form. And so it's a really amazing program. And once again, it's free, totally free. All you have to do is go on the NAMI website and type in ETS or it's under the programs and it's a youth program that they offer and you will be able to register to have that in your school or um, in your youth organization as I said earlier and it's a really powerful program that brings awareness and education to students and educators and their families about how to just have those conversations surrounding mental health mental health conditions and being able to provide information on how to support and resources of who to go to for help. That is an amazing resource. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And so I am going to come back to this. Like, I was like, oh, she slid this in. Uh-uh, we gonna talk about this. So tell me about this whole entire business that you have, like your organization. Because I feel like this is something that's needed. And like you said, it's a passion project, but I think of like the work you're doing, you're impacting so many people and you're, you're life altering. You're changing people's lives. So let's talk about that. Thank you. Well, like I said, it's definitely a passion project of mine, the unveiling and sharing true stories of hope, healing and ending the stigma of mental health. And really, I chose the unveiling because I thought about how this is such a taboo topic. Um, Brene Brown, who is a social worker, one of the things that she talks about is being able to lean into difficult conversations and how that's something that we all have, we struggle with. And so when I heard that and I started thinking about, you know, just mental health, my experiences, how I wanted to make an impact, I thought about that. And I said, I want to be able to help people lean into those difficult conversations, those taboo topics. And I want to be able to help people feel more comfortable and make it okay to talk about it. And of course, mental health is such a taboo topic in general, but even more so in communities of color. And so that's really where this started from. And the unveiling is when something is covered, it's hidden. But once you take the veil off of it, then it's open and it's exposed. And so that's where I got the unveiling from. And in the quote that I shared earlier by Maya Angelou, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of us. I wanted to be able to create safe spaces for people once they got to the point of vulnerability, because it can be scary to share your story. You know, everybody has an opinion, right? And so it can be very scary to open up and to be vulnerable and share, especially when it comes to, you know, talking about mental health and and 
suicide and things of that nature. And so I wanted to provide a space for people to be able to talk about these things and their experiences surrounding it. In the first webinar um, that I did, I think it might have been a year or two ago now, it was during the month of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Infant Loss Month, and then I believe uh, Depression Awareness Screening Day. And so um, I had individuals come on. I had a mother who had um, two moms, one who had lost a twin in during development. I had a triple negative breast cancer survivor on. I had a gentleman on who who lives with multiple mental health conditions. Um, another mother who, who lost a child due to miscarriage. And we just had an open and raw conversation surrounding how these things affect our mental health. And oftentimes, for example, I'll go with the um, the young lady I had on who was a triple negative breast cancer survivor. You know, a lot of times during um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, they you don't really hear about the mental health aspect of how having breast cancer affects you mentally. You know, having to go through chemo, you know, looking at the possibility of possibly, you know, no longer living because of breast cancer and the financial aspect and how that all of that impacts our mental health. And so she came on and talked about that or, you know, um, Black women, the high mortality rate we have due to childbirth and the mental health aspect that comes along with losing a child and things of that nature. And so this is what the unveiling is all about, is having people come together and sharing their stories and being able to have people make it okay to talk. Because I believe the more that we share our stories, there are other people out there who are waiting for you to share your story so they can hear and say, wow, if he overcame this or she overcame that or she experienced this too, they're not going to feel as alone. They're not going to feel like they're, you know, it's just them who's dealing with this because a lot of times we'll self-isolate and we'll feel like we'll, we will feel like we are the only ones who are going through the struggle, but you're not. There are other people, they may not know exactly what you're dealing with, but it may be something similar. And so really that's what I'm hoping to be able to do with this organization and that it will continue to grow and really be an impact for others. I'm really excited about this business that you have, this platform that you're building, these conversations that you guys are having with so many different people. And I think it's really important. And it made me think about something because I have a close colleague of mine that has just been diagnosed with cancer and so we as like an office are like what do we do like how do we help how do we support because we adore her absolutely adore her and try to pick up where you know those days where she's feeling tired but it makes me now curious like is there anything that I can do as a supportive colleague to help and support her from a mental standpoint because now I'm like okay is there anything that I can say or do or resources that I can help provide that may be of support for her mentally because I have no clue what it feels like to have to go through chemo or to have any of those type of things she's now started to you know lose her hair she came to me yesterday she was like now I feel bad about not rocking my natural fro and I was like girl just get you one of them cute like fro wigs we gonna we gonna rock it out till, till we need to and uh so I, I know I we help make her laugh and things like that and I know that that makes her feel good but when it comes to like the the, the real like mental health that comes with process 
processing of this diagnosis and processing what the next, the rest of the year looks like, what advice do you have or suggestions or maybe resources you can point me in the direction of that could possibly be of assistance to her from a mental health standpoint? So I think it's great that you and your colleagues are open and willing to supporting your coworkers. So kudos to you for being that support for her. I would honestly suggest um, her going through therapy and finding a support group, especially for those who are going through a breast cancer diagnosis, or even I live with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And one of the symptoms, and it's a syndrome because there are many symptoms associated with it, is hair thinning and hair loss. And so I, I actually wear a wig and I my hair was falling out. And so I shaved it. And that that was, you know, because in the Black community, you know, we're taught our hair is our crown and glory, right? You know, we spend how many billions of dollars, you know, with the hair care industry caring for our hair, right? And so I I can empathize, you know, on how hard that is. And so I, one of the things I did was I went, social media can can be a blessing in, in this way is, is you can find groups on social media, on Facebook of women who deal with hair loss or women who are going through breast cancer and even by the specific type of breast cancer they have. So I think that's really important a resource for her. And then, like I said, also um, finding a therapist who specifically um, works with clients who are dealing with serious uh, health issues such as cancer, I think would be the best resources for her. And then in addition to that, just, you know, asking her specifically, you know, what ways do you feel we can best support you, right? Because we may think we could be supporting in one way, but maybe it's not really being as effective or beneficial. And so I think just coming straight out and asking, hey, how do you feel we can best support you during this time? And she may or may not know, and that's okay. But other than that, you know, just continue to be there, continue to be a listening ear, continue to be a support, whether it's maybe helping divvy up her responsibilities at work or, you know, possibly asking if she can leave early one day a week or maybe doing a meal train and helping out with meals or asking, hey, do you need me to go with you to your chemo appointment, if that's okay? Um, I know with COVID, you know, there are certain people can go with you in the doctor's office and things like that. Or do you need me to drive you to your appointment or, you know, just things like that to be able to help make a really challenging time, hopefully uh, a little less challenging and, and as comfortable as possible is what I would say. That is beautiful advice. Thank you very much. I love that advice because um, when my grandfather went through his whole entire chemo, radiation, dialysis, and things like that, like for him, the best thing was luckily my aunt, um, her schedule allowed it, but for my aunt to be there during the whole entire time, like he would complain and be like, I'm good. I don't need to, you know, I got this. But knowing somebody was there was the best thing for him. And like how you just said, asking how and like asking how to support, but also understanding that like what uh, Sunny D said earlier, sometimes you don't have the words to even know how to ask for what you even want because you don't know what you need, what you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And so I say that to like lead to my grandfather was like a staple in my life. Like he was my grandfather slash father because he raised me. And so what is the one thing you wish with everything you know now, what is the one thing you wish your parents taught you to prepare you not just for adulthood, but just for life 
in dealing with everything that you've been through? There are many things I could say, but I think the one of the most important things I think my parents would have taught me about growing up is finances and how to manage my finances. Um, because we grew up poor, like there were times where we didn't have any light, any water, you know, had to hurry up and do homework before the sun went down, things of that nature, um, having not a lot of food in the house, things like that. And so that caused me to grow up with a poverty mindset. And I, that really affected me in every area of my life because I did not know how to effectively manage my finances and save and things like that. And so I really wish that, and, and going through the things that we went through due to our finances, I'll, I'll tell one story there when we were younger, I think I might've been in the ninth grade and I came home from school and literally all of our stuff was out in our front yard. And I, uh, my friend drove me home and we pulled up and she was like, are you moving? And I said, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. And when I went up to my mom and one of her friends was there and the rental company who we were renting our house from came and basically kicked us out and put all of our stuff out on the front lawn. And so going through things like that really caused me to grow up with having a scarcity mindset and wanting and not knowing how to spend money. And then I will say on top of that, dealing with um, uh, bipolar disorder and and depression and having those impulsive feelings and, um, you know, overspending as a way to, to cope with those feelings um, didn't help either. And so I really wish I would have been taught about finances and how to better manage finances and the importance of saving and investing and um, things of that nature. And then if I can say one more, because I feel like they're close seconds and they're intertwined. I was listening to a speech by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And one of the things, and he actually, and I'll have to send this to you. He was talking to a group of junior high schoolers about what he felt like their blueprint for life should be. And one of the things that he said was believing in your, your own uniqueness and your worthiness. And I was not taught that growing up. I wasn't taught how to believe in myself. I wasn't taught that I was worthy. And so that really set into my mind as well. And it really dealt with a lot of contributed to my self-perception of myself and my ability to believe in myself and my capabilities that, um, and my potential. And that really dimmed it. And, and I wish I had grown up with that being instilled into me that I was worthy of love, that I was worthy of, you know, belonging and being able to accomplish, you know, my dreams and my goals. And so I would say those are the two things. Um, and I feel like they kind of go hand in hand that I wish um, my parents would have instilled in me growing up. I can relate to the growing up and transitioning into adulthood and now trying to figure out money situation and finances and how, like how to spend money. The fact, I think we've talked about this in, in previous episodes or even just conversations between Nakai and I, but like the, the utilization of money as a tool, you know what I mean? And the importance of that and what that actually means and what that actually looks like for everybody. I think that's absolutely a, a relatable struggle. <laughs> what do you think is one of the most challenging things about being an adult with all the experience that you've had thus far in your life? What's like the most challenging thing? I would say the most challenging thing for me about being an adult is healing. I would say that's 
the most challenging thing, healing from my childhood, healing from the trauma and the hurt that I went through is, has been the most challenging part about me being an adult because, or at least for me, that has spread into other areas of adulthood is being unhealed and dealing with finances or dealing with relationships or dealing with self-care, dealing with work, right? And so for me, it's been healing and being able to reestablish and re-change the narrative from what it used to be to believing that it could be something different. And so that's been the most challenging thing because it's like almost you have to relearn how to think, relearn how to be and becoming this, you know, from this un this unhealed person to someone who is now healed. And what does that look like? What does that sound like? What what are those thoughts like? And so I would say that's been the hardest challenge for me transitioning into adulthood and being able to maintain that as well is very important. That was like a light bulb. I don't know about you, Nakai, but straight up light bulb on, on wow. Yeah. Yes. When you said, and I wrote it down, healing is the one thing about even going into adulthood. And I, I do when I stepped back, I had to clutch my pearls because that is so true. Like healing. Okay. My mind just went 50 million places at once. So I'm trying to bring it back to <laughs> to center, but we don't understand in our culture that our childhood directly affect how we are as adults. And if we aren't processing, and I think we said this in a previous episode of like, we put everything in a closet because, you know, in the black community, we don't talk about that. You don't say that. Just put that in a closet, pretend like it doesn't exist. But as an adult, especially like how you said, you're married. When you live with somebody and you are in this relationship, that closet door gets unlocked. Maybe not by you, but by your spouse or by your person, your significant other, because they're like, oh, what's in here? And they open it. And you're like, ah, you weren't supposed to open it. And uh, everything is coming out. Like, all this stuff you tried to hide and put under the rug and pretend like wasn't there is going to come out. And like you said, it's a choice of, are we going to process through this and I'm going to heal? Or am I going to keep pushing it back in there? And now everything that I am now going through is now going to manifest in a different way. It's either something that's going to happen in my body because your body is this amazing book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it literally is going to manifest in your body, whether that's like, you know, heart disease or cancer, anything like that, like your body cannot handle all of the stress that you are holding on to. And so when you said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, I could just talk to her all day. But I am going to ask you this question because this is one question that I really love asking people because I think it like helps me gear where they're going. And of course, like Sunday B said, we're going to follow you and see all of this because you got this business girl. So yes. <laughs> what do you want to be remembered for? Like, what do you want your legacy to be? I have never been asked that question before. And so I really had to think about it. Um, I think I want my to be remembered for by helping people realize that despite the challenges in life, despite how hard life is, that it's it's possible. It's possible to overcome. It's possible to heal. It's possible to change. It's possible to be different. That the same way you started isn't the same way you have to finish. 
I want to be remembered for being able to encourage people and helping people be the best version of themselves possible, despite the circumstances, despite the upbringing, despite what you've gone through in life. I think that's what I would want my legacy to be. I love that, especially when you said it's possible because like that is speaking to so many young people, but also speaking to so many, what's it called in the middle? Young youth, young adults. <laughs> And speaking to the adults of it is possible because so many people don't hear those words. So many people don't understand like it's possible for them. And so I'm going to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to transition into a new segment. And this is Moments of Melanation. Moments of Melanation. So Moments of Melanation is where we are highlighting a Black person doing their thing. And today we are highlighting, this is so cool because you said that you talked about your the t-shirts that you have of like encouraging word and um, trying to normalize mental health. This actually, these two teams have a brand called Euphoric 777. And so the brand was created also to support people who may seem happy on the outside, but are really hiding their true mental health struggles behind a smile every day. And so I thought that was so cool. So when you said that earlier, I was like, oh my gosh, Ebony's going to love this. <laughs> so what are your thoughts? And the two creators are two young boys. I shouldn't call them boys, but two young males. They're like teenagers who created this. I think that is absolutely amazing. And once again, representation matters. And so the fact that it's two young uh, uh, teenagers that have not only taken the initiative to become entrepreneurs, but the fact that it's around mental health and encouraging others that, you know, that they have the insight to see that, you know, behind all this can lie something inside and it's okay to bring it out and talk about it. That's amazing. And so I just give big ups to them. And I think that is awesome. I love that these are young Black men that have created this because I don't think that Black males in general, especially, you know, teenager, young adult, I don't think they have a lot of and I could be wrong correct me if I'm wrong listeners let us know but I don't think there's a lot of resources for them as far as outlets for understanding what their emotions are where they come from trauma or any anything to do with like how they grew up and how to process any of those things and they're right there in that range where they are if they haven't started already about to start that transition into you know adulthood and being a full-fledged like grown human being especially in this country and everything that that entails, especially with the way that they look. So I love that they have put together a platform to kind of address some of the things and in, in, in a sense, creating their own safe space that they probably didn't have access to. You know, in some cases, you aren't always invited a seat at the table. Sometimes you have to build your own. And you both said that perfectly because like when I just think that we kind of talked about it or touched on it earlier of like creating your own spaces. And I can only speak for me because I am a Black woman. <laughs> um, I wish we have more spaces just for us, but I don't even think about black men. Not saying I don't think about black men, but I'm not a black male. So understanding like, oh man, there are not a lot of spaces for them. Like, so these two young men to do this, I'm like, kudos, kudos, kudos to you guys. So I love that. And so we, y'all, you know, we got to pay the bills and really understanding your self-worth, self-love and self-belief. So a word from our sponsor. Hey, beautifuls. This message is brought to you by the grad 
grass is greener on the other side, where we help women who have anger, sadness, and shame from being cheated on learn how to heal and take their power back so they can regain confidence, restore their peace, and attract the life of their dreams. We can be found on IG at Brianna underscore Latrice. That's spelled B-R-I-A-I-N-A underscore L-A-T-R-I-C-E. And for all of the Where's My Blueprint podcast listeners, we're offering free 15-minute discovery calls. So if you're ready to regain and restore that self-love, self-worth, and self-belief back in yourself, shoot me a DM for a free discovery call today. Because my motto is, honey, believe that cheater and find your peace. If you're interested in joining my new course, Rejection is Redirection, using your past as a reference, not a residence, you can email me at affairrecoverycoach at gmail.com or you can shoot me a DM at Brianna underscore Latrice. See you on the call. So everyone, you know, we end every single, every single episode with an affirmation. Today, we are honored and privileged to have Miss Ebony in our episode with a beautiful affirmation. And so I'm gonna hand it off to her. Thank you. So I really had to think about what affirmation I wanted to share because there are so many great affirmations out there. But the one that I'm going to share is just one word. And I feel like it is so powerful. And there's so much within that one word. Um, But the affirmation is worthy. And I feel so often because of the things that we have gone through, or the spirit of compassion, comparison and life just being life and sometimes being really hard and the things that we've gone through, we feel that we're not worthy. We feel we're not worthy of love. We feel that we're not worthy of success. We feel that we are not worthy of happiness. We feel that we're not worthy to, to be our best selves, but that's not true. You are worthy. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of success. You're worthy of happiness. You're worthy of joy. You are worthy. I am worthy. We are worthy. And so that is the aspect information that I chose to share. Uh, yeah, I love that. That was that's incredibly powerful. And the spirit that needs to be delivered is comparison. Okay. I don't know what that lady was talking about at your church, but comparison that needs to be delivered for sure. I agree. And when you said one word, I was like, oh, what's this one word? And when you said worthy, I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. Like, yes. And you summed, both of you summed it up so perfectly. So first and foremost, before we end this episode, I want to, Miss Ebony, if you can tell everyone where to find you, your IG, especially unveiling. So where they can find you and all your handles. (laughs) So my Facebook is just my name, Ebony, E-B-O-N-I-E, drop the Y at the (laughs) I-E, Freeman, F-R-E-E-M-A-N. And um, my Instagram is purpose underscore the X, meaning by underscore and design purpose underscore X, which is by and then underscore design. And you can follow more about the unveiling on my Facebook and Instagram account. It's still um, in the works. So I don't have a social media page for that just yet, but look for it coming soon. And that's how you can find me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we end audience, if you need any help or anything, the suicide hotline number is 
800-273-8255. And it has a chat box to speak with them and it's available 24 seven, or you can go to the um, website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. As you all know, you can follow us on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, or you can follow us on our website at whereismyblueprintpod.com. Go ahead and check out the blog also at whereismyblueprintpod.com. And again, happy Mother's Day to everyone. And we are thankful for Miss Ebony blessing us with this beautiful conversation today. And so we want to say thank you. And we are over and out. Thank you. Thank you. Peace out.